Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Everybody's learning the same process. Everyone's learning the same things. It's your choice whether you want to become a sculptor or a designer. Someone will always be better. That happens in sports, that sure. happens in a lot of professions. Yeah. But what they're consistently telling you is, not only do you have to be better all the time, you can never really be content with where you're at right then because everything around you is consistently changing. That is industrial designer Zach Caleb. And on the next two episodes, dare I say, we venture into a masterclass on industrial design, or more on what it takes to call yourself an industrial designer. Not just someone who has the skills and watched a bunch of videos and has a website with a few designs posted up. That is not to say that that path is not valid, but Zach is going to give us the rundown on what it takes to really call yourself an industrial designer. That elevated level of quality, sustainability, and repeatability. It's that level where true professionals inhabit, and it's definitely a level above the DIYer. So, two episodes here, take a listen to both and take some notes. Here's Zach Caleb. So, we're here in your Nashville home and studio where you are building a furniture design studio, but your background is more in cars and industrial design. Correct. What's the thread from cars to furniture? And I know that sounds easy to you, but for most of us, industrial design is this big albatross that we don't understand. Yeah. For starters, I think that it's important to note that a lot of industrial designers and other creators are sort of misdirected in understanding what industrial design is and how to even find the industry in general and if they belong there. And a lot of people that are in grade school or high school that are good with their hands or able to visualize things a certain way, they're directed towards engineering. And a lot of industrial designers are failed engineers okay. because they don't enjoy what engineering provides, which is not artistic whatsoever. Right, and engineering, is, is, it's a lot of math. Right, and or they're just misdirected mechanical engineers. You know, and a lot of people, including myself, I'm Cal Poly alumni as well, San Luis Obispo for mechanical engineering. So it was originally space or just working with metallurgy and blueprints and numbers? No, it was wanting to design cars. Okay. Yeah, that was the intent. Okay. And that's what I mean is a lot of industrial designers that found their way to industrial design were misdirected engineers. Okay, so when you wanted to do cars, they just said, go there. Engineering is what you want to do if you want to design cars. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth? It's not that it's far from the truth because engineers, especially mechanical engineers, do design vehicles, but they design the function of the vehicles from a repeatability point of view, right? Safety, long-standing quality, and a lot of other things go into engineering an automobile or a product, but those things don't necessarily tie into 
the initial concept of usability or why the product's even being developed in the first place. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit, but you keyed on usability, and that is one of those, it seems like a more modern buzzword that we hear more and more, especially Silicon Valley, usability, UX, UI. For a lot of designers, it's already inherent usability, but thinking about usability for other people is relatively new, correct? I wouldn't say so. I think it's transitioning to a digital age when you mention UX or UI. But when I say usability, I literally mean how do you handle this product physically? And does it work for the person it's marketed to? Right, and that can vary a lot of ways. It can vary for male and female, old and young, right? And I, when I say old and young, I'm talking about someone that's in a retirement home and I'm also talking about an infant, okay. right? As far as product goes and usability, are you designing the product to cater to or to appeal to the parents of the infant, right? The toy or whatever else you might be working on as an industrial designer? Or are you designing it from a usability point of view for the infant themselves only? Got it. Right? Okay. Does that need to appeal to the infant? No. <laughs> right? Sure. Sure. Of course it needs to appeal to the consumer who are the parents, but it has to function and be usable for the infant. Right? And so the same thing goes the up, complete other side for an older person, right? Or a female or a male. And we use, in industrial design, we use body percentages, right? Size, shape, all those kinds of things for female and male. So gender and age can affect how we design something and how we develop it. And so from an industrial design point of view, you're looking conceptually at what is the purpose of this product and who needs to be able to use it easily. From an engineering point of view, the purpose of the product has already been dictated to the engineer. Got, okay, right? okay. So they're just given the prompt. Right. So the industrial designer is basically explaining to the engineer, here's the idea. Here's why we need it. Here is all the information on how I would like to develop it. Now can you please assist, right, in making this repeatable, functional, safe, producible, affordable, all these things come from the engineering side. Okay. Right? So the engineer, in, in theory, and this is not to poo-poo engineers, should not be designing per se. They're the ones that are taking the design and making it fit those parameters you mentioned. Correct. Okay. And, but that's where the, the line gets a little bit fuzzy because depending on the type of project you're working on as an industrial designer, you might be working very closely with the engineer and sometimes it flips where what you've done on paper or even what you've done three-dimensionally on a clay model or what we call hard model, which is anything besides clay, mm -hmm. the engineer might be telling you, you simply do not have enough space in this box uh -huh. to do what you want to do, right? The technology doesn't exist or from a safety point of view, you can't do that because the consumer that you're trying to reach will not be able to use it safely. Ah, okay. Right? Okay. And so as an industrial designer, now it comes the balls back to you. Your challenge from the engineer is not necessarily to just scrap the whole thing and start over, but to take the concept that you propose to him, regenerate it, mm. 
to fit within the new guidelines that he's giving you. And that back and forth can be really frustrating, but it can also be really healthy because if you do your job as an industrial designer, you're almost an inspirational cheerleader in a way for the engineer, right? right? You're pushing them constantly to say, look, I think that those materials could be different. They could be lighter, so it doesn't weigh as much, and then maybe it's safer, right? Depending on the type of product you're developing, just being heavy might be unsafe. Okay. So, or let's say, oh, well, if you make a, a toy out of steel, like we used to in the 30s and 40s right, and 50s, right, yeah. it's not very safe anymore. Yeah. But if we make it out of plastic, it weighs less, which means you can get hurt less, maybe, right? It's easier to manufacture, it costs less, right? And you can also make what we call the packaging, which isn't how we present it on a shelf, but how we compile all the components inside the product. Mm -hmm. You can also- The, the guts of the, of the, the toy, The guts so to of speak. the toy can also be smaller, mm -hmm. potentially, sure. because we're using innovative manufacturing techniques. Right, so that's just one example of how an engineer and industrial designer are different, but they have to be able to work together. Okay. And so the industrial design side is almost like, has a veil in front of it. And if you don't know that industrial design exists, the recommendation and the fallback seems to always be engineering. When was that the case for you? Did you just not know industrial design was yeah, a thing? Very much like a number of people that I've spoken to in the past and a lot of peers of mine too, a magazine. I saw it in a magazine. <laughs> okay. And I clipped out the page and uh, what, what started, magazine was it? It was a design magazine okay. of some type okay. long time ago. Okay. Probably, honestly, it was probably a car magazine. Okay. Like Hot Rod magazine. Or I, I've, heard, like that. I've heard that from other people. Like I was looking through Motor Trend, right? And they, they, this in, this term industrial designer popped up, right? Exactly. And so you start looking at the industrial design programs, and you are honestly a little bit confused at first because mm -hmm. my background, my mom was an interior designer for years when I was younger, and my dad was a dentist, so my background was very hands on. And I knew then and I know now that I can always visualize something in my head and I can translate that through my hands. That's a pretty rare skill. It's a rare skill, but that is what industrial design is. Okay. Whether you're doing it in 3D as a clay model or you're drawing it as a picture, you're still using your hands as a tool to communicate what's in your brain, right? And engineers can do that, but it's more literal right because it's math sure and from an industrial design point of view when you're thinking about i have all these ideas i can translate them through my hands confidently it's just where do i do it yeah how do i do it you know what i mean and the how isn't really like how do i physically do what i know i can do with my hands i mean clay and sculpting and building things a lot of people can do that mm -hmm. It's how do I do it in the industry? Where is the industry? Mm -hmm. What is the industry? That's the how. And industrial design is that industry. Okay, so if, you know, if, if somebody's just you know, living in Play-Doh and living in clay and, and just you know, the five-year-old has got the world's greatest Lego project with no instructions, 
they're an industrial designer secretly in the wings waiting for them to right. to be the next designer. Right. They could be, for sure. You know, and I think there's that finding that balance of not being jaded by realizing that the industrial design industry is a corporate industry. Yeah. More or less. Sure. Right? We're still making toothbrushes and you know, it's not all cars all the time. Right. And there's also larger companies that own smaller companies, subsidiary companies, right? So one large conglomerate owns several companies, mm -hmm. whether it be multiple car companies that are offered in Europe as a brand name and in America as a brand name mm -hmm. or multiple products that are designed for a certain geographical location sure. or even a culture. Yeah. Right. So they can own several companies or several businesses that market the same product to different cultures or different locations and they vary it based on that. Sure, I, I lived overseas and I remember seeing that with like washing machines right. and things where it's like the buttons are in the different place and sometimes they're making music or the, the hot water kettle that is ubiquitous through Asia has no place in an American kitchen unless you went to Asia and drink a lot of tea now. Correct. You are right on the money with that. And so when you learn that though, you start to realize that the creativity aspect slowly goes down, mm. right? And so the conceptual idea that inspires you and inspires everybody is still what drives the corporate world. But once that conceptual idea is out there, now it's being made into realistic ideas. Hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, it was in my brain and now it's in my hand, right? <laughs> but what did you sacrifice yeah. from a conceptual point of view to what's in your hand? And that process can be really difficult to navigate as an industrial designer because your dream world and the reality is you're going through financial officers, you're going through engineers, you're going through people that are looking at marketing graphs. Mm -hmm. And each time you're running into these different groups as an industrial designer, you're sacrificing something from your original design. Some gatekeeper or a long group of gatekeepers. Right, and you are sacrificing either a very small piece that's not necessarily driving your concept and you can be okay with it, or you might be sacrificing a very large piece. So that begs the question that I did not think about, but you're kind of bringing up then, you know, why industrial design? What made this attractive so much to you to stay in? where you're, you're putting mm -hmm. your entire soul and creativity on the line, and then you knowing that it's gonna be whittled away and chiseled away into something maybe completely different. Quite frankly, when you're in school, they don't talk about that. <laughs> That's a reality. Mm -hmm. And as an instructor at the school for many years and visiting and coming back and being in the industry and working in different design studios and working with different cultures and different managers, if you mm -hmm. will, that have philosophy on how a project should be run, you start to realize these things and it becomes part of your education mm. as your, it's working education. Okay. Right. Okay. You're learning on site. Right. Because I mean, you know, this is not a whole selling the academy or selling education. Well, we are going to talk about selling education and that how important it is that it seems like you know the the school education is one thing. Mm -hmm. Then the real education starts for quite a while before you even 
up to par. Right. And a lot of professions are like that. Mm -hmm. It's not just industrial design yeah. where they like drop you and you have to learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of professions you're given pretty much the basics when you graduate from college, mm -hmm. right? And you have that degree in your hand. You are pretty much holding that paper saying, okay, I've made it to the point where someone might give me the chance to learn more, mm. right? I don't really have a lot to offer yet. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. That is definitely one thing from industrial design that you need to realize early on. And that is something that I wish my instructors had put more emphasis on, which is it's important to know your craft. It's important to do your best to perfect your craft while you're here at school and absorb all the information that the people around you are giving you. But your craft is not the only thing. You know, you can be the best sculptor in the whole world when you graduate from industrial design program, right? But what you don't know unless someone has told you is all the dynamics of working within these different companies the culture of the people, mm -hmm. right? The culture of sculptors, mm -hmm. the culture of designers, how they mix with each other because they're from different parts of the world, right? It's not like you're graduating from a certain department and you're going over to one state in United States mm -hmm. and you're working in that place and all you're gonna interact with is people that have only ever lived in that area. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not year six, year eight, year seven. It's, oh, I already know how to do that. We already speak the same. Right. Language. We've all been here. We all went to the same department. Mm -hmm. We all learned the same thing. And now I'm here to start producing for your company. And it, that is not going to happen. Couldn't be farther from the truth <laughs> when you are moving from studio to studio. And really, the only consistency, and even that's kind of limited, are the materials that are available to you. Mm. Right? Because even as a designer or a sculptor, right? Design sculptor in an automotive field. The technology and the materials available to you are different for each company. Okay. Right? So some people just don't like clay. Some people don't like styrofoam or they love a particular... I mean, even uh, to get really particular, even the clay itself <laughs> might be developed specifically for that studio. Oh, wow. And the way that they like to construct their clay models. The royal and, they have decided this is our formula. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, custom made clay. And that sounds funny, but one surfacing style, right? And when I say surfacing, I'm talking about the actual outside exterior surfaces that you touch on mm -hmm. a car when it's in production, right? Mm -hmm. So the complex surfacing that happens on an automobile is unique to that company. Oh, wow. Right? Every company has its own brand identity and who they represent and which people they represent, mm -hmm. ideally. Sure. Right? It never is perfect. Yeah. But you're always aiming for a group of people. Brands don't exist by accident. Right. And so culturally, each brand identifies with the surfacing that's mm. on the vehicle. Oh, wow. You look at a Japanese car that's designed in a studio, run by a manager that came from Japan and runs a studio in the United States, specifically on the West Coast in California, that surfacing and that concept is going to be driven by Japanese culture. 
mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though it's for the United States. Mm-hmm. When you look at a car company like GM, that car is being designed by people from around the world, but they're deciding right then, is this a car that's going to be marketed in Europe? Is this a car that's going to be marketed in the United States? What part of the United States? And all of those things as an industrial designer are going to contribute to what the vehicle literally looks like. Oh, wow. Right? And so each brand is identifying from a surfacing level. And so as a design sculptor or an industrial designer, that is the identity that you have to be able to tie into. Wow. I mean, we, we jumped f- so far out of left field for from my understanding of this, but this is great. But let's go back a little bit because what you're saying really sets up some of these other questions of you decided to get into cars and obviously you learned all of this right. as you were going through. So you got into cars like, great, I'm going to make cars. You had one very clear notion of what that was before you signed up and completely different now. Yes. When you decided to do cars, what was the goal? What were you thinking when you went to uh, the academy was the choice to do cars? Academy was the choice. Okay. Yep. So when you decided to do cars, like I'm going to make a car, was it as simple as that or was it a little more specific? The simplicity of the decision was based on being able to use my hands to create something, right? And understanding that my hands are the tools that will translate what's in my brain to other people. And going through the process of understanding how to correctly translate those images on paper and then translating the images on paper to 3D, that was the inspiration of designing a car for me. Okay. And understanding that when you look at something on paper, it's only been taken to a certain level, conceptually. Was it the visual design for you or was it the gearhead aspect? I know that's with cars, there's two very different. There are, cars. and I'm, I'm both. Okay. I have that's plenty. A, that's the engineer and, and the designer. Right, and I have plenty of interest in hot rods and race cars okay. and motorcycles. Basically anything with a motor and wheels does interest me. From a design point of view though, it really was more about the surfacing. Really? And even today, Describe that more because you you talked about the servicing and how it's different because I know industrial designers, I know automotive designers and everyone we've talked to the industrial design department, that sense of touch is so important. It's one of our five senses, so everybody thinks it's great. But for an industrial designer, that is like the holy grail. Mm -hmm. Describe surface. Explain it more than, you know, is it just, hey, that feels neat? Or what's this almost mm-hmm. worshipness like, or, right. you know, godlike vision of, of surface? So within the industrial design group, transportation specifically, right, you do have a pretty clear split eventually within the program and then as professional too. Mm-hmm. You have designers and you have sculptors. And It doesn't mean that a designer can't sculpt a 3D model in clay and the other way around, it doesn't mean that a sculptor can't design something on paper. In fact, the best of the best can do both all the time. To me, that's the master of something. And so when you're talking about surface, someone that's 
a professional designer with an industrial design background, they've most likely made the choice earlier on to understand how surfaces intersect. And when I use the word complex surfacing, I'm not saying that they're difficult to make. Complex surfacing is when you have two surfaces that are not flat, okay. intersecting each other. Okay. Right. So if you like to imagine two spheres that intersect each other, where that intersection happens, we call a complex surface. Okay. Right. Because it's developing another surface that's not flat. Mm. Right. And that, what does that intersection look like? On paper, you're still only imagining what mm. that intersection looks like. Mm. Now, extrapolate those two spheres into an entire vehicle. Okay. Right. There are a lot of complex intersections. Sure, sure. And again, I want to be clear when you say complex, not from a difficult point of view, the execution can be difficult, but that's not the description of the word in this case. Complex meaning you have multiple services, which none of them are flat. They're either convex or concaved, mm -hmm. and they intersect each other in multiple areas. Okay. Right? So where you're taking the next step and for me personally is the challenge of what's on paper and what you imagine those intersections to look like and what you imagine those intersections to do and how they will perform mm -hmm. and then realizing them in three dimensions okay. so they're being dictated to you in theory Right. On paper. Yeah, we can all draw circles, a whole bunch of circles. And, right. And the, what you described, we could all sit down and draw without much more and it, and you can even And you can even draw a likeness of a sphere on mm. paper, and you can make it appear real, right? An artist can do that. An industrial designer can do that. A lot of people can do that. You can draw an image or do a computer-generated image of a sphere on a flat surface mm -hmm. and it will appear to be a sphere. But what you can't do all the time is understand exactly what's going on from your brain to the paper when you have multiple surfaces like that coming together in one spot. And sure, when you're talking about a car or, or any product, it's you're you're walking around it. I, I'm looking around your house, looking at things mm -hmm. that are spheres. It's like, oh yeah, the light wraps around this way. And this right. thing looks like this and this is pretty here. And, not so pretty there, or it's going to be pretty in a different way. Okay, I so, think that makes a clearer understanding of when you say surface. Right, and so, so this important. complex surfacing that I'm describing, it's a sensory type thing mm -hmm. that designers can pick up on and they can understand if you've done your job as a sculptor, the designer is now getting more information about what he's trying to create, right? So. He can only take it so far if he's limited to a flat screen or a flat piece of paper mm -hmm. and where the sculptor comes in. And this again is the dynamic of sculptor designer dynamic. Really the sculptor is a designer and the designer is a sculptor in a lot of ways. Okay. They, they oh, wow. flip, right? Okay. Because the sculptor is inherently the designer, right? So the designer might be dictating the concept, they might be dictating why we're doing it and when we're doing it and for who we're creating this product for. But the fact of the matter is the design sculptor is responsible for successfully translating 
what's on paper or what's on the screen to something you can touch, right? Wow. So this design sculptor is really the, the Svengali of this whole idea then. It, it, it's only as good as that person's hands. Correct. Oh, wow. you, that is exactly right. Okay. Right? And so when I got into the industry, I had a confidence already knowing that I can take something that is on a piece of paper and I can make it in three dimensions the way that I imagine it, right? Now you take someone else's imagination that's on paper, they can only go so far. Even if they know what they want, you can still only take that imagination so far in two dimensions, mm -hmm. right? And so if you are able to provide the skills, you are almost working as kind of a tool to the designer, right? Mm -hmm. To take his dream or his creation and develop it in the next stage. Sculpting, the doing the model is not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. It's just the next step in the process. That's the step that you can't skip. Right, it's a big step, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of car companies have tried to skip it, mm -hmm. right? And done pretty bad job, <laughs> right, of doing that. But yeah, so you said, you know, it could be skipped, but not skipped. And it's been tried and it's failed miserably. When someone's trying to learn to be a sculptor, what does that take? I mean, for you, I'm sure, you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, you had some, you know, the desire and the basic concept. But what are you trying to learn that's different from, hey, I can make something in clay mm -hmm. or I can play with something and, hey, I made something. I watched a YouTube video. I'm a maker now and I can make something. And I followed directions and put a little flourish on it. It's good yeah. to an actual design sculptor. You're working. It's your job to be a creator and be creative and push the limits of someone that's been giving you guidelines. But the fact is you need to be disciplined enough to understand that there are limitations, mm. right? A sculptor, an artistic sculptor, right? That's sculpting a human has to understand that if it's not the correct proportions, it will not look like a human being, mm. right? as opposed to someone that is doing art or sculpture, right? That is interpretive, if you will, yeah. or more exploratory in understanding how the materials can be manipulated, right? And doesn't necessarily have an end goal. Okay. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're not working towards something. Sure, I mean, a lot of art is the process is the art. I got to a, a point I'm content with. Right. Where industrial design is, I don't think anyone's content with your circle toothbrush or right. five-wheeled car. And so as a design sculptor and a designer in the industrial design industry, whether it's a transportation related design or a product design or, or anything, to be honest, you are always working within a limitation. Mm, okay. And designers and artists don't like that. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. You know? <laughs> but that's the discipline that you're actually learning along the way, especially while you're in your classes and you're being taught what industrial design is. Mm -hmm. Along the way, 
you're being consistently reminded that someone has to be able to sit in the car. <laughs> I'm not joking. No, no, I, you, you know, know? I, you know, I, I laugh and I think I talked with Antonio about this and you know, we're in Nashville. Normally we do this in San Francisco and I'm in not my car, which I worked very hard to choose and my mm-hmm. wife worked very hard to choose. And we had an Audi cause it fit her and it fit me. And we test drove a bunch of cars. I'm like, I, some cars, as soon as I sat down, I'm like, I'm not buying this car. Yeah. I don't care if it makes milkshakes. I can't physically drive this car comfortably. Yeah. The car I have today drives like a, a three legged dog. But that makes total sense where some people are like, well, it, it, it looks cool, mm-hmm. but so what? And, and that's the struggle as a student, but it's also the struggle as a professional. You are consistently told as a student while you're learning the craft of industrial design, whether you're planning on being a designer per se, where you're going to be conceptualizing and doing things on paper, or you're working to be a sculptor, right? you're still leaving with industrial design education, Mm. right? You are learning, everybody's learning the same process. Everyone's learning the same things. It's your choice whether you want to become a sculptor or a designer, Mm -hmm. but you're given the same box of skill sets, right? And so when you leave, You've been told the whole time that these skills you're developing will never be the pinnacle of your skills. Someone will always be better. Yeah. And that happens in sports. That sure. happens in a lot of professions. Yeah. But what they're consistently telling you is not only do you have to be better all the time, you can never really be content with where you're at right then because everything around you is consistently changing. Right. So the fact that you're content with your design, the materials you've chosen, the size of your product, all these different things is pretty much old news by the time it gets to the consumer. Okay. You know? Yeah. So it really is that we also joke, well, you know, everything's, you know, 10 years old and obsolete by the time we get it anyway. Right. Okay. It is truth. And in the automotive industry, it's probably the most truth because automobiles take the longest to develop. Mm -hmm. All the safety standards, all the regulations that go into an automobile for the U.S. market versus a European market and how they manage that, that really pulls the timeline a lot. Okay. On a transportation related vehicle compared to, as you mentioned, a toothbrush, mm-hmm. right? Now there might be some ADA things and some other hazards that they have to go through type of plastics they're using, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but that development process is quite a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So you might not be using an obsolete toothbrush, right? but the reality is in the automotive world, the surfacing that I was talking about earlier mm-hmm is typically already out of date in the design world Mm. by the time it gets to the consumer. Okay. Right? You know, some models that I worked on specifically that are on the road now were three and maybe even close to four years old. Oh, wow. From clay model to production. Wow. That does seem ancient when you look at cars now every year. It's tweaked and sometimes totally different. Right. Really, five years ago, you're like, yeah, Yeah, I I know that. I'm 10 years ahead of you now. Yeah. There are many, many cars, Volkswagen Group, Tesla, Honda that I worked on that, you know, you see it on the road and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. (laughs) You know? Eh, 
didn't quite look as good as I hoped. Oh, well. <laughs> right. And it also depends as a sculptor and a designer for that matter, what part of the process you're being employed to work on. Mm. Because you could be in a conceptual studio where all you're doing is generating ideas that are going to be reinvigorating or reimagining what the brand is. Okay. Or reimagining or rethinking what the brand can be. Mm. There's those kinds of studios, right? And those are the ones that, honestly, that's kind of a dream. Sure. Everyone wants to be in those right, ones as right. a creator, yeah. right? But then the reality is there are the studios that just do the bumpers. <laughs> right, you know? sure. And it's like, okay, well, the 2016 model needs a face, what we call a facelift, yeah. right? So team B, you're on front bumper. And team D, you're on back bumper. And that is your job for eight months. Oh, wow. As a designer and a sculptor, <laughs> right? And that can be your reality. And that can be a little depressing. Yeah, as you know, somebody older, and a lot of the times what we're talking about, you know, specifically with this podcast is, hey, your career is going to change. It's going to be not exciting sometimes. It's going to be the most amazing thing ever. It's going to go up. You're going to get fired. Mm -hmm. And yeah, designing bumpers for a year does seem the least exciting but it is crucial. Absolutely crucial. It's the identity of the brand and the consumer needs to believe that you're consistently thinking about how you're improving the product, mm. right? Does it need a new bumper? No, Right. it doesn't need a new bumper. The bumper that came off, it probably passed government standards. Mm. Safety's fine. The quality is probably fine. But it's like, why do we develop new colors? Right. Right? The, a white car is fine. Yeah. Right? But every year it's like, oh, well, here's the 2020 color line. Yeah. You know? And it's because consumers want to believe mm. that each year you are investing in something that is improved somehow. Mm. Right? And a lot of companies, their philosophy is exactly that. Let's start with a blank piece of paper, right? And we'll start, and that blank piece of paper, it still works yeah. just the way it is. Sure. But we'll start adding all these little pictures to it over time, hmm. and it will slowly become a blank piece of paper that will become a collage okay. of a bunch of other things. And 10 years from now, we're still at the platform that we started with, mm -hmm. but now we've just kind of led people to believe that we're re- reinventing when really it's just update after update after update. Yeah, it's like the school did a big project with Subaru and it seems like Subaru doesn't change and they kind of even admitted like, we're not making anything new now, we're good. Yeah. It's just our consumer has very much dictated something they like so now we have to, that green is not the green, they want a more forest right. green, but the redwood forest green on a July afternoon green. Yeah. <laughs> is that exciting as a designer or is it annoying or is it both? I think when you start looking at specialties, it becomes exciting. Okay. For instance, a color and trim mm -hmm. designer, which is not an industrial designer, but can be in the industrial design field. Okay. Right? They might find that exciting. Mm -hmm. Right? An industrial designer that likes drawing pictures of cars probably wants to off himself <laughs> you know if they're being pulled into a meeting to talk about which color green 
Yeah. We want to try and market on the vehicle that hasn't even been designed yet. Mm. And believe me, this happens. Oh, I, I can, I I mean, can imagine. I mean, they're yeah. talking about color offerings for a vehicle that's conceptual. Mm. And you're like, let's just think about the, the big picture first, you yeah. know? But, and that goes back to company culture. And I think coming full circle, talking about production studios versus blue sky studios, mm. right? It all kind of leads to realizing at some point in your career that you want to move on and continue to have the ability to be creative no matter what you're trying to achieve. Or you have to realize one of two things. One, you're going to be a sculptor or a designer because that's what you love doing, right? But you will be sculpting clay forever. <laughs> right? The designs will change. Mm -hmm. The surfacing will change as time changes, mm -hmm. right? And as cultures change and everything around you changes, all of that will keep changing. But the fact of the matter is your skill sets will always be the same. Okay. Which is you are there to use your hands and translate someone else's idea to clay. Okay. Right? For some people, that is a dream job. For me, when I've had good collaborations with designers, it's been the most exciting time in my career. Mm -hmm. And having those collaborations in a studio and trusting, a lot of it's built on trust. Mm -hmm. And a designer needs to trust that the clay modeler has best intentions to support them and their team. And the sculptor needs to understand that the designer is ultimately the one that's selling the vision to the higher up managers. Okay. Right? And so having been a part of the sales, if you will, to the high up managers, you start to realize that as a project lead, a sculptor project lead and a design project lead, they're a team. They're not separate. And the end goal is to sell the concept, right? And so when you work well together, it's probably the best time you could ever have in a design studio or in a development setting whatsoever. But when you don't work well together, it can be probably one of the most depressing moments of a professional career. How do you deal with that? Because I think, you know, a lot of art school careers are very freelance. If you're an illustrator, you're working freelance. If you're a painter, you know, the lowest common denominator idea of art school is, oh, I'm a painter and an illustrator, you know, I'm drawing pictures. That's freelance. That's a mm -hmm. one-off job. But a lot of industrial design, a lot of video game design, a lot of the 3D design and the more technical-based, computer-based, more modern things, you're part of a whole crew and you're part of the system. Yeah, a very large one. How do you deal with that as a designer both starting out and then later on in your career when you're like, okay, this just makes me yeah. want to gouge my eyes out. As a designer, and because I am on both sides of it professionally, design and sculpting, as a designer, your ability to identify with the brand that you're working for can really motivate you a lot. Mm -hmm. To me, if you're taking a job with a brand that you don't identify with somehow, you're not going to be successful in that position. Even if it really is like, oh, I need the money, I have to work, whatever it is, it's gonna be really short-lived. Mm. 
because it's not that you can't produce quality work. It's just your work won't be to the quality that you're capable of producing because you don't identify with what the brand is trying to do, mm. whatever it may be, right? Whether it's in a medical group or toys or furniture or automobiles, if you don't somehow have a relationship with that brand, and it doesn't mean that you have to be able to afford to buy a Lamborghini <laughs> to have a relationship with that brand. Mm -hmm. But understanding why the brand functions the way it does internally is going to lead to successful job for you. Okay. Right? But if for some reason you're not able to do that or you see conflicting notions a lot, whether it be internal processes, budgeting, decision-making processes on design or marketing, all of those things can really hinder your ability to do your best work. And my point of view on that has always been, if you fall in that category as a designer or a sculptor, it's time for you to look for another job. Can you tell when somebody was not a happy toy designer when you see their toy? <laughs> you could tell based on how much energy they were able to show in their physicality while presenting it. Mm. And then also their excitement about the brand representing their idea, mm. right? So you can really see from someone's, I mean, maybe today it's different because of COVID, mm -hmm. but in a design studio, you can really pick up on someone's body language and energy during a presentation, ah. right? And how much they tap into the model, mm. right? So I know we're on mic here, we're not on screen, mm -hmm. but I always tell my students, your model is a tool. It's a sales tool. Mm. You need to be referencing the model physically showing your energy going towards the model, right? You want everyone else having their energy looking at the model. Mm. They don't need to be looking at you. Right. You're not selling sure. you, yeah. right? You're, you're speaking, you need to speak clearly, you need to be able to identify your key points in your presentation clearly so that everyone understands what you're selling, but really, you want them focused on what you've developed, right? And so if you're not energetic or you're not confident in what you've developed or the brand itself, that shows through. Uh, okay. And it shows through really clearly. Okay. I've been in that position myself. And it's always a hard decision. It's very easy for someone to say, well, if you don't like your job, quit. Right. Sure. Anybody can say yeah. that, yeah. right? Yeah. Easy to say, sure. But the fact of the matter is, when you break down that barrier of fear, right? And you realize that you're not being, your capabilities are not being fully realized because you're not allowing yourself to do that because you don't align with the brand you work for and you get past that and you do move on and you get the next job, all of a sudden you're gonna realize that you're doing things that you imagined maybe you could do, but they come naturally, right? Because you're inspired by the brand that you're working for, or you're inspired by the development process, or you're inspired by the culture even, you know? And I've worked for car companies that are work solely in the US, but there's a lot of employees that are not American mm -hmm. 
So you get, you know, infused by that culture. I've worked for a German company. I've worked for a Japanese company. And culture has a very, very heavy influence on how things are done. Right? And if you can't fit into that culture somehow, that might make you unhappy too. Yeah. You know? And a lot of processes, some cultures, they're very, if you want to use the term artistic about it, they are very artistic about it. It's very fluid, right? Some cultures and some companies, it's you do step one, step two, step three, and you don't skip a step, mm. right? And that can also be a struggle for some people, especially people that are a little bit more artistic and less mathematical, yeah. you know? And as an industrial designer, you have to decide how much you're actually kind of willing to deal with, you know? And what are your own personal limitations? And if those are being met, when do you move on? So there you have it, some great advice and a great story. And I hope you took some notes because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, and employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. Here at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco, and of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, industrial design, illustration and fine art, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. My name is Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.